Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Come one, come all, gather round the campfire and hear our stories of the one they call Superboot. Superboot! We, 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 please stop, please stop. Um, congratulations to the four listeners left. Uh, we are here to discuss, to talk about, to tell tales around the campfire of maybe the finest player that rugby has seen. Certainly the rugby in the 80s ever saw. Savaro Korodua known to his friends and to the world as Super Boot. Super Boot. Oh, I love it when so, we've got a Fiji game and it's like, oh yeah, it's Super Boot and it's 14 pals. It's exactly that. So, welcome back to the Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective from 1987, where this week we're once again covering a Fiji game, which means one thing, and literally one <laughs> thing only. We're going to spend, what, an hour or so talking about their fullback. If not bloody, four hours. Bloody Superboo. Bloody Superboo. Super I love that guy. He's probably my favourite rugby player in the last... 36, 37 years. So, if you're new to the podcast, I'd recommend going back and perhaps having a look at our previous Fiji episodes. But yes. Fiji had a fullback with an enormous boot, and he was known as Superboot. And he is also the greatest rugby player that has um, lived. So, welcome. Uh, I am Robbie, or Squidge, or according to a teenager I passed in the street on the way into the office to record this, uh, Dickhead. Um, oh, nice. what, what, yeah. Why, why did he call you a dickhead? Did, did you, oh, just, there were did just, you two... just like know your personality in like the last two... 26 years of your life? Uh, no, I just had a penis on my forehead. Um, <laughs> so, no, so I just passed to a group of teenagers who were very clearly about 16 and very clearly about drunk. Okay. And one of them said hi and I said hi back. And then one of them just looked at me and went, dickhead. Oh, wow. That's really over so, the top. I just said cheers and walked off. Oh, okay. That's, I mean, clearly both very good judges of character, but I wonder yes. how, like, suspiciously good judges of character, because you didn't give them a lot to go off there. You said hi, which yeah, actually, yeah. by especially by your standards, it's quite a polite thing to do. By um, my standards, by your standards, because I'm saying you're a dickhead. Um, <laughs> well, they from that from you doing a polite thing and saying hi back mm. to them. They already realised that you're a dickhead, so that they, yes. they must have some kind of hidden talent of some description. Yes, or it's just very obvious to everyone that meets me. Uh, who are you? Oh, that's a good question. So, I am Will Owen, and if you ask anybody I've ever met, dickhead. 
Mm, we've got that in common. It was passed down yeah. as a gene from our father. Hereditary. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, we are here today to discuss Fiji, who apparently played against another team in the United States of Rugby World Cup. Yep. They played Italy. So they did. This was the second ever game between Italy and Fiji. The previous game, seven years earlier, 1980, was won 16-3 by Fiji, uh, who went into this game probably as narrow favourites, which is an interesting one. Yeah. So we previously spoke on the Fiji-New Zealand episode about the fact that against the All Blacks, Fiji had deliberately rested most of their good players. Mm. And like they had... Literally, there was points where Superboot, being their best player, like wasn't making tackles and was probably mm. asked to not make not to make tackles so he wouldn't get injured. And like, I'm not really joking about this. No, like, no, no, no. It was proper standing off shit. Yeah, and yeah David yeah. Kirk, the New Zealand captain, was absolutely furious yes. about it. And um, so Rackeroy, their captain, so Colly Rackeroy, said in the the post match interview, like, yeah, we're targeting the Italy game. That's the one we want to win. That's what we want to do. We want to qualify for the last eight. We know we're not going to beat the All Blacks, or it's unlikely that we'll beat the All Blacks. So why target that game? And you know what? Fair hearing, enough. But if you're hearing Kirk, a captain say immediately after a game, yeah, we weren't trying, <laughs> and, and believing them. Mm. Is an incredible, incredible. Can you imagine Michaeli Lamoureux saying that? Right? Yeah, yeah. I literally can't. I can't. <laughs> so you may notice if you listened to the previous episode, we trailed England v Japan as the next game. We were due to have a guest. They currently have COVID, and so we swapped the other game from that played on that day in 1987. First, we just swapped the order around a bit, which we accidentally did earlier, so we figured it isn't a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and the game's like 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who cares? And look, the point we, is we previously had a week off. Because because we both had COVID, and yes, because th- we have a no COVID policy on this podcast. If you have, if you have COVID, it's just like nah, bro, get out. What if you spread it via Zoom? We don't know enough about COVID to know whether it can spread through a podcast. Exactly, we don't know whether it can just trickle out through. If you're wearing earbuds, you know, yeah, so it's not yeah. really social distancing, is it? We're basically like, spitting in your ear. Yeah, we don't want to infect the listeners, bro. We no. want to look out for them. We're grateful for them. We want them to be alive. So we will come back to England, Japan. That'll come soon. Yes. But for this week, we are talking all about Fiji v Italy. Yes. And should we start by looking at the teams? Yes, I think we should. Which teams so, do we start with, Robbie? Should we run through the Italian team quite quickly? Because I think we can do it quite quickly. Yeah, I think uh, so. They make minimal changes to that previous yeah. game. So the second match, they made quite a few changes because they were disastrous against the All Blacks. <laughs> yep, they were. So sadly, still no Serafino Gizzoni, our no. second favourite fullback that was eligible to play in this game. Which is an absolute disaster. Oscar Colado, who started at 12 in the first game, continues at fly half, yep, which is reason. a decision they could make. <laughs> um, and elsewhere in the team, we have, I mean, so... Uh, the real standout name when you're looking for it these days is Maurizio Anasente, who is now the president of the Italian Rugby Union. Yes, captain, of course, at this point At the as well. time, yeah. Captain of the Italian team. And Daniele Tobaldi continues at fullback yep. over Stefano Gozzoni. So it's a it's a strong team. Yep. As I say, I think there's one change from their previous game. Perugini Ferrara comes in for the injured uh, Gianni Zanon. That is the only change they make in the side. Otherwise, it is unchanged. Which means, because it's an unchanged team, I can bring up an anecdote I only just discovered about the first game. Ooh, hello. So, we have playing on the right wing, Marcelo Cotita, who is, mm-hmm. of course, 
Italy's all-time top try scorer. When interviewed about his career a few weeks ago, he was asked, or a few years, a couple years ago rather than now, uh, he was asked for the worst moment of his career and the best moment of his career Ooh, and okay. the funniest moment of his career. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah, the big three. So, best moment of his career, which because the interview was in Italian, was asked as, what's the most beautiful moment of your career? <laughs> I mean, I, there's only one, surely. There's only one thing it could be. I know it was the try he scored against Argentina and so on, blah, blah, blah. But he did want to share the, the pitch with Fabio. The Fabio dog. the dog has to come up. So, there are two things, right? One is when he was playing for Grenoble, they won the Challenge Cup. Boring. And they won, it's the only time he won a title, so good on him. Yeah, fair enough. And the other is playing in the first World Championship match in New Zealand in 1987. He then said they were both great satisfactions. But what he really means by playing in that match is featuring alongside the Dolmio man and, of course, Fabio the Doc. Yes, absolutely. And that's that's the subtext. That's like, mm. that's like what you know that's what he means. That's implied. It's yeah, implied. yeah, yeah. The most difficult moment of his career uh, was the fact that his two brothers were both in the Italy squad earlier in this year right. and were dropped for this World Cup. So he was the only one of his three brothers who were all regulars for Italy selected wow. for this World Cup. Uh, the others were left at home. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, he said that was very difficult. The fact that he yeah. had to go on his own. Uh, More but the anecdote for them for, than for him, mind, but yeah. Yes. The anecdote, the funny moment, right? I'm just going to read this. I'm just going to read go his quote. Translate, use, I use Google Translate. Okay. The 1987 World Cup in New Zealand. We're about to play a game destined to go down history. It's the first game ever in the history of the World Cup, and we're playing against the All Blacks. Before entering the field, we gather in silence in the locker room, and the attendant helps us relax, turns off the lights. Okay, can you see where this is going? Not quite. After a few moments in the middle of darkness and silence, Stefano Barbara, who is the 12, mm-hmm. shouts very loudly... Watch out for these wallets! What? <laughs> that what? is the funniest moment of Marcelo Cotita's life. Was his man shouting, watch out for these wallets? Because, yeah. oh, because the lights went out. Because the lights were out. So it was like somebody lights might steal out. their wallets. He thought someone might, because they were gathering a huddle in the middle of the room. It's And good. he thought someone was going to steal a lot of wallets. That's the and funniest moment of his whole career. He thought was it just was a really the funniest standard, moment of his life. Really standard bit of locker room banter. I mean, granted, yep. it was before the first ever Rugby World Cup game, so sure. that definitely takes it up a notch. Do you know what would have been even better? What? If he shouted, has anyone seen my dog? Yeah, that's what I was kind of expecting you were going to say. Like, so The reason why I didn't laugh at all was because I was expecting a dog to turn up at some point in this anecdote. Nope. But no, nope. just watch out for these wallets. Thing is, no one stole a wallet. No nope. one did anything. Someone said, "Watch out for these wallets." It's pretty funny, to be fair. It's one of the funniest moments of his whole career. It's and also, funny. like, let let me tell you, we have watched this guy play three times. We could both name you a lot of funnier moments of his career. <laughs> yes. Than yeah, we're going to get into some of them today. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, should we move on to the Fijian team? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't realise there was more than one of them. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, so, the friends of Superboot, yeah. there are a handful of them, like maybe 14. Yeah. Yeah, Fiji, again, changed the team massively from the New Zealand game, yeah. but it's largely the same team that beat Argentina. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the same team, stay together. This is very much viewed as their strongest team. Uh, Paolo Nualu comes in at scrum off. 
Uh, he's kind of the one change from that that team in the opening game. Uh, otherwise, they're largely as was. Largely as what yeah. they viewed their strongest team from the beginning. Yeah, they bring back John Sande onto the flank mm. this time, moving from number eight. Of course, the man with the legendary Carver Farms. Yeah, they, they also bring in Tom Mitchell in the centres. Not England seventh yes. Tom Mitchell, as far as we know. So we have... Tom Mitchell and Tomasi Farmer. Oh yeah, in the back line, we have two sevens legends from different countries to feed. I was expecting to find out that the thirteen was Cecil Africa Senior. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That like you know, bloody Ellie Green was playing in the front row for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Congratulations to Charlotte Kaslick on a Fijian cousin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that is an interesting point. The two name sharers of Sevens legends from countries that aren't Fiji. That are not yet born at this point. That are not yet born at this point. Very important detail. There's also so a debut to a guy called Isaki Nandolo. Mm. And of course, it sounds a lot like somebody's got Waisaki Naholo's name wrong <laughs> a lot of times on commentary. But yeah, it's his first cap. Interesting time to give out a first cap, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three um... games in the World Cup in a must-win game, but... I assume they had an injury of some description uh, after the first two games, but yeah. So, Isaki Nadolo. Yes. Of no relation to Namani, as far as we can tell. No, yeah. But was absolutely crucial in the foundation of the first women's rugby team in Fiji. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so, he was a coach at the team. Right. And Paolo Nawalu, who I mentioned was the scrum okay, for yeah. Fiji today, this day, uh, it was his wife... Uh, wanted to start a sevens team. She was a netballer. She wanted to try rugby, wanted to start a sevens team. That's really cool. And so it was Isaac Nadolo and Paolo Nualu were very much responsible for that team being able to get off the ground and use the resources of their, you know, their team. That's really um, cool. In Suva. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's, that's, that's great. It's so cool, like, looking at some of the players playing in this World Cup and realizing they did, like, actually revolutionary shit like that it's, so, it's always nice when you find out it's that rather than like they went to jail after this yes uh, other interesting thing on that initial team on that first sevens team that started by those two guys mm-hmm. by Novello's wife on that team was the mother of Akapusi Ungera no yep wow wow that's really interesting I didn't realise that he came from a playing family. You've, of course, at the minute, got Lagi Tuama playing for England. Of course. Who's, of course, his niece. Uh, so there's a really, really rich family tradition Christ. in the Ankara. I reckon that's just going to go on literally forever. There's yeah. always going to be somebody of relation to that family is always going to be playing like international rugby. And that's just never going to finish. Do you, do you want to know a, 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 an unrelated story? I'm just going to tell you one more anecdote about the women's team. Okay, go for it. During a game... One of the players was told by the referee that the men's game is now finished, so you need to go off and cook the food. What? Which is a horrific moment of sexism Jesus from the referee. Christ. Yep. Was was that referee like taken out and arrested by Superboot? No, he was signed by London Irish. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it genuinely took me a moment to realise that wasn't a joke because um, <laughs> it felt right. Do you want do you want this unrelated story yet, or should we just keep? I uh, we can we can we can do that if we really want to. Do you really do you really want to do a? Yeah, sure, go on. Sure. So, good good friend and listener of the podcast, Mr. Ryan Holden, who I of course play with, recently told me a story which I thought about telling. Maybe if we did a podcast with uh, Lee from Blood and Mud, because mm. it's it's a player spotted uh, that he gave. Okay. Me. 
where he basically his dad, uh, who I know I've played rugby with, works on some like on train car farms. Yeah, oh. no, yeah, not on car on train tracks in Stoke, and okay. basically showed. Uh, showed his son, Ryan, who, as I say, listens to this podcast, uh, a picture of him and one of his work colleagues and said, like, this guy's massive and is a rugby player and now play, you know, is, uh, plays rugby for his local team. Okay. And, like, he was a big Polynesian lad. Uh, and then eventually found out that this guy used to be a professional rugby player and okay. then realised, like, okay, my son's going to need me to dig in on this. And then yes. it turned out that that guy was Akapuzi Nguera. No! So Akapuzi Nguera is working, yeah, on train tracks in Stoke and playing amateur rugby for a local team. Wow. Yep. He lives okay. in Stoke. Why would he live in Stoke? I don't know. He's gone imagine, from Fiji to Stoke. Imagine living in Fiji and moving to Stoke. Like, Stoke. For anyone not in the UK, imagine mud, right? Then make it more boring and concrete. And you've got Stoke. <laughs> yeah. Stoke is maybe the least interesting place in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the best thing Stoke ever produced was a song from Dick and Dom in the Bungalow, which is another thing we're not going to bother explaining to listeners from outside the UK. <laughs> Just for your benefit, Robbie, mm. there is a picture of Akapuzi and Gera and Ryan. Wow, Sand. that is Akapuzi and Gera yeah. and, yeah, yeah and, a, and a man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's, there's an unrelated story that I hope you enjoyed. I enjoyed it very, very much. Mm. Speaking of stories about Fijian rugby players, yes, and what they got up to outside of their time, mm-hmm. um, I believe we each have stories to trade about Severo Corridoradua. You mean and bloody I believe superboot? It's bloody superboot story time. Yeah, it is bloody. Uh, we, I think we should have a jingle for bloody superboot story time. Uh, I really hope Tom's over his COVID. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so no, so. I have two stories about. I have two stories about super. How many stories about bloody super do you have? Just the one, but people are gathering around. Gather around. Get closer. Get closer. Get closer. Bloody super. So yeah, here we go. Here we go. I say, I say, I'll start. Then you reply. Yeah, we're taking turns for story time about super boot. Oh, I love super. I'm gonna start with my shorter super boot story. Okay. Okay. Before you do, can you just quickly in a sentence tell me what your favorite thing about super boot is? His boot. So, um, <laughs> I love Severo Corridoradua very, very dearly. He was, of course, a member of the Fijian police force. He was. And, and his father, is. yes, still is to this day. His father was the police constable in Suva, was the head of the Suva police. Big, big boy, big, big boy. I imagine it as a, like, Jim Broadbent, Nick Frost and Hot Fuzz relationship. Sure. Um, <laughs> except that instead of, being really good at stabbing his eye with a fork and looking mm-hmm. like ketchup instead of blood coming out his eye. Yeah. He's just got the biggest boo in world rugby. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds accurate. Yeah, that's pretty much how I imagine their relationship. <laughs> so uh, one day when not being sent out to get Chunky Monkey ice cream, Severo Karadurudua went and played in a game, a local Fijian game. This was shortly after I think he won his first couple of caps. So he had a handful of caps for his name. And he broke his arm playing in this match okay the next week a kid goes out and this is I saw this reported by this this now grown man Mm -hmm. Uh, he said he was a child and he went around and was on a school trip looking at the the police grounds the police kind of headquarters yeah yeah and they walk into the back where they have a grassy area 
that's often used for police training and police, you know, stuff, a part of the police's property. And who should they see? But with his arm in a sling, Severo Superboot Corridor Doer practicing his goal kicking. <laughs> no! So Corridor Doer was, yep, yeah, broke his arm so could be sent out on active service. So in the back of the pol- like police headquarters, practiced his goal kicking with his oh, arm in a sling. I didn't know I could love him more. Think about the fact that like, I know that it was an ACL, but when Gareth Anscombe was out injured, how mm. long it took before he was allowed to co- kick goals again? Yeah, and the yeah. fact that like Superboot presumably didn't bother seeing a specialist because he didn't no, want no, to no. push back the time uh, until he was allowed. It was to his arm, the ball you know. Again. Of course, yeah, he could kick it. He's got, he, he... he's got three more limbs. Yeah, it's difficult for him to put the ball in the ground, like, but he can do everything else. It's true, it's true. But then again, he would literally just dig a hole in the floor and just put it down one-handed anyway, didn't he? So yeah, <laughs> super boot. That's a, that's a brilliant super boot story. Okay, uh, and I'm really excited that you've got another one after this. Mm. So uh, gather around. We're still we're still here for super boot story time. Uh, it's, it's please get closer, get closer. Time. Yeah, yeah. Marshmallows out, marshmallows so, out. It's time. So last time we covered a Fiji game mm. on this podcast, we had a friend of the pod. I would I would say one of the best, dearest friends of the podcast. One Mr. of the very finest. Mr. Jamie Wall, who is a, a New Zealand native and a man with just an endless fountain of knowledge on the Rugby World mm. Cup, which is one of many reasons why we got him on the podcast. And, you know, I'm not saying all of this because he listens, but he uh, has... Since we uh, we recorded that podcast, DM'd me a few things in a book he has about the Rugby World Cup, including one which has World Cup titbit, as this is uh, phrased okay. in the book. Uh, Severo Corundua the Staffordian player in 1987, was nicknamed Bigfoot, such was his build. And so Jamie sent that to no. me, just out of the blue, and just said, controversial. <laughs> um, which no. it certainly is. It's, no, like, don't get me wrong. He had a big foot. We can agree on that. Like He his, had a big foot. His foot was big. His boot was big. His boot was super. He had a super boot. Super boot. He, he, had, he, had, super he boot. had a super boot. When you look into his Wikipedia page, it says his nickname is Super Boot. Because yeah. of his goalkeeping prowess. Uh, one commentator, I think, at one point says Big Boot mm. rather than Super Boot. And hey, he but... did have a big boot. Yes. No one's denying that, right? That, But his nickname's not Bigfoot. Bigfoot's a different thing. Yeah, that is just outright not true. That is yeah. not a fact. That is not a tidbit. And that is nothing. Look, it I'm, is a lie. All I, I'm here for spreading the word about Severo Corn Doer Doer. But I just Look. feel like if you want to truly grow the hobby of sharing facts about Severo Corn Doer Doer, mm. you have to endear people to the fact that his name is Bloody Superboot. He's Bloody Superboot. And we. Look, if, if this podcast is for anything. It's to try and make Severo Corridua Dua, a.k.a. Bloody Superboot, yeah. the most famous player in rugby history. If not the most famous person in the world. Look, I will settle for third place. Okay. I will settle for Lomu Wilkinson, Corridua Dua, yeah. Carter McCaw. Yeah, yeah. I, I am happy with that. Is this the most famous five. people in the world or the most famous rugby players? Uh, you, uh, yes. You, no, I meant, I meant uh, a different Carter. Um, yeah, okay, yeah. And I meant the bird oh, McCaw. Oh, Beyonce. Yes, I meant, yeah. I meant Beyonce, Beyonce, Niles Carter, and uh, yeah, the the Bird McCaw. Mm, yeah, um, they are quite famous. They're pretty famous. Uh, like I, I will let that to one be slide. More famous than Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> to my goal with, with this podcast 
that like a thousand people listen to. Yeah. Um, so Koru Superboot do do it. Yes. Um, which is not his name. <laughs> no, no, no. But look, we we can we as his friends, and given we're in bloody Superboot story time, we can call him whatever endearing names we like. Like so. Yeah. Okay. So Blaze Superboot, right? <laughs> Superboot well Stan Twitter is starting for... up right now. Well known for his prowess at kicking a rugby ball. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. But you may be unaware he was actually also superb at kicking another kind of ball. Oh? And not just the balls of criminals when he was working for the Super <laughs> Damn right he's good at that, King. Because Severo Corridua Dua was also an exceptional soccer player. Okay. Interesting. So he also played football on the side. Rugby was very much his, his first love, his passion, mm-hmm. his favourite sport. But, okay, Severo Corridua Dua played for Suva in football, who at the time were the Fijian champions. Oh, wow. And he was one of their star players. He was one of their real stand-up players. Uh, he used to play one on the Saturday, one on the Sunday, rugby and football. Okay. And because he didn't bother, you know, he could, probably, he could play football with a broken arm, so he didn't mind. Sure. That's probably yeah. how he took it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it does actually, when you watch him back now, his kind of two-step run-up and so on actually makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it scans. It background. definitely scans. Yeah. However, right, Superboot never won a cap for Fiji in football. He never played internationally. He did not become a dual international. Do you want to know why? Yes. More than anything? So, Corridor Dua rose to fame in rugby in 1982. And he took rugby very seriously in the lead-up. And started playing football more once he kind of made it in rugby. He was like, well, I can do both now. You know, I'm like, I'm really good at rugby. I might as well play football as well, but on the side. However, in 1983, right, the Fijian soccer team played in the final of the South Pacific Games against Tahiti. Okay, okay, okay. I'm following. It had been like a long campaign for them to get there. They'd won a few games as blowouts, but then they won, they beat New Caledonia 2-3, 3-2, I suppose, as you call it. <laughs> um... In the semi-final, in order to reach the final, it was pretty. It was pretty close, pretty like tight game. Yeah. So Joe Tumbunda, who was their captain and their star player, scored the winner, put them into the, the final group, right? Which meant they would play Tahiti in Apia in the final. Okay. Okay. okay? Now, I'm going to read you the official FIFA judgment on the game. Okay. 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 On what is said by the scoreboard. Okay? Yeah, go So normally it would say, like, England 2, Iceland 3, FT, you know, for Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? Instead, for this game, the 1983 Pacific Island Cup Games Championship Final. Yeah. The score reads, Tahiti 1, Fiji 0, match abandoned due to riot. No! So... On the eve of the final match, this is from the testimony from the the autobiography of Henry Dyer, who uh, is of no relation to Johnny Dyer as far as I can find, but that surname can't be very common in Fiji. No. On the eve of the final match, right, he he writes, our coach, Rudy Gentoff, who was a German guy, after drawing up our game strategies, which didn't exist in rugby at the time, so I hope (laughs) it learns some lessons from football quickly, gave us a promise Mentioning that if we beat Tahiti, he will buy us all a beer at the shop closest to the school campus and bring it back for the team. <laughs> because all sportsmen in Fiji are beer drinkers, before the match we are thinking about beer as the price. <laughs> we were joking about this to each other as we walked down into the Appiah Stadium. Okay, now, that's that's from the start of the autobiography. Yeah, right? okay. 
The day before the game, the coach, Rudy, met with the soccer officials running these running the tournament to yeah. say he didn't want a French referee, <laughs> which very relatable for yeah. many rugby yeah. fans. I feel you, man. I feel you. Because he felt that a French referee, which was what they were scheduled to have, mm-hmm. would be biased towards New Caledonia, Vananatu, and Tahiti, who were all French-speaking countries and technically French colonies. Okay. You know, like, uh, New Caledonia's produced, like, Sebastian Vamahina and quite a few, yeah, like, yeah. you know... French international rugby players mm. now because it's technically a French yes, colony. Yes, yes. They were concerned about favouritism if a French referee was given a French territory okay. in, right. in the final. He writes in the autobiography, this favouritism really happened in finals, leading to a disputed final. Rudy tried in vain to have only one French official in the final, but they still put two instead. <laughs> we had no choice but to play our... We had no choice but to play our hearts out. <laughs> <laughs> We were, just, we were just going to bother everyone. Yeah, we were just yeah, making yeah, the beer. Yeah, yeah, we thought about flicking that switch off, but now it was jammed. <laughs> then the whole of like Samoa and Tonga and so on, and Papua New Guinea, all of their teams and like locals, because it was played in Samoa, mm-hmm. came out to support them. Uh, they were really behind Fiji, and it was kind of like very much the French-speaking ones versus <laughs> the kind of what we think of as like the rugby South Sea Islands. Yeah, yeah. All kind of like they played each other. It was kind of like a playoff between the two of them. Sure. Yeah, and like a lot of their kind of like traditional rivals really got behind them. So they talk about how you know there's a lot of like very good French players and so on in that uh, Tahiti team. They were going really well, and the game goes on and it gets to nil nil with ten minutes to go. Okay, <laughs> at which point there's a tussle between the defenders and the attackers. Goalmouth was full of both sets of players. Everyone was busy either trying to score or clear the ball in the Fiji goalmouth, which is a great yep. Yeah, I, I guess it would be. One of our Fiji defenders, and he then says it may have been, and then he names two of the players, <laughs> cleared the ball. But before that, the clearing linesman indicated the referee that the ball in midair had crossed the line. So, as the player was, award- was clearing the ball, the ball crossed the line and the referee, the French referee awards a goal. Oh, he's biased. Of course he's biased to his French colonies. So, at this moment... It's, so I've got in front of me here both this player's autobiography, the section on By this the way, game. Just, just to clarify, is Superboot playing in this game? No. No. Okay, carry on. This is 1983. Superboot's just played his first game to Fiji in Rugby Union. Okay. And he's starting to take football more seriously okay. alongside cool. rugby. Sorry, okay. carry on. I recognise this as now a Pacific Games football No, no, no. I am, I am entranced in this. So... <laughs> The ball doesn't get cleared. The goal gets awarded. Uh, I currently have in front of me both the a player's autobiography he played in this game. Yeah. And the Sydney Morning Post record of this. Is this okay. like some kind of like Bandersnatch thing of like, which one do I want to go down? Well, I, I've pieced this together through looking at the Wikipedia page, through looking at this player's autobiography and looking at this Sydney Morning Herald okay. uh, report on the game. I'm genuinely so interested them, in this. And all the alternate endings. I think I've kind of like pieced together what happened like okay it it's it feels like playing phoenix right again yeah like yeah. i'm slowly piecing putting all the pieces back together cool so what i figure happens okay well i mean so it in the player's autobiography it says there was a big commotion on the field from both sides mm-hmm. as we had warned about prior to the match there'd likely be decisions from french officials right <laughs> while <laughs> okay <laughs> so the players begin 
complaining to the referee. Yes. Right? It's only listed in the... It's only listed in the player's autobiography that we begin complaining to the referee about the decision, right? But they also say our eyes were on the bench where the our officials, where their coaches were sitting. Okay, okay. The referee listens to the linesman, allows the goal, right? And says, like, no, we they discuss it. They kind of do, like, the equi- you know, like, that they used to do in rugby. But, you know, they have a little chat. Sure, yeah. And they go, like, no, we're awarding the goal. Yeah. At this point, Fiji are, in Dyer's words, all flabbergasted and amazed. Anger and frustration sunk into our heads. Right? At which point, the coaching team walk onto the pitch. Oh, God. Oh, God. So, the... <laughs> so, I don't... Okay, There's, this is where the details start to get slightly more foggy. Okay. Right? But somewhere around here, the coach starts screaming at the referee. Okay. Something happens. One of the Fijian players then punches the referee in the face. Oh, my God, no. At which point the linesman tries to st- stand up for him, and two more Fijian players at least pile in on the linesman. Oh my god! So, uh, <laughs> and it just gets even better. So the the coach uh, punches one of the Tahiti players. <laughs> well, uh, no, it's a strike. So he could hit him in any way possible. Yeah. You know. It could be a Will Smith I mean, moment. Look, but the coach hits one of the opposition players because someone's beat him to the referee. They had no choice but to play their hearts out, man. <laughs> and then, right, uh, one of the one of the uh, Tahiti players after this strikes back and hits one of the Fijian strikers. <laughs> at which point, this breaks out into a, a a kind of brawl to such an extent that the Fijian masseuse is currently stood behind <gasps> the <laughs> is currently stood behind the far goal, right. <laughs> and he and this is my favourite part of this because it's so vague right he comes on chasing the Tahiti goalkeeper who obviously is on the other side of the pitch yeah. right he sees the Tahiti goalkeeper and he starts running at him with what is only described as a weapon <laughs> <laughs> so the masseuse chase from behind starts chasing Runs the goalkeeper the goalkeeper meters. no 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 he's behind the goal That goal. so the goalkeeper's on the other side of the pitch yeah yeah, right? yeah. the masseuse is behind that goal oh I see so oh, so, so he's the, the nearest Fiji, Fiji masseuse yeah so he goes that's the nearest player he was nothing to do either play elite the man in this stadium the least to do with this <laughs> I'm having him. Also. So he runs at him with a weapon, whatever that might be. That's it, because let's dig into this. Because there's there's two ro- routes this could be. Either the word weapon has been inflated, you know? Like, yeah. Either it's or like, mistranslated it's a, somewhere. It's a damp towel or something like that. The, yeah, I... It reads like English isn't the first language in the yeah, kind of exactly. report. So, so. You, the weapon could mean that. Weapon, alternatively, and the second reading could mean a fucking knife, right? Machete. The, yeah, the, like a chainsaw that and he, he pulls just out his samurai sword. Just in case this would happen. And like, it sounds like from the fact that the Virginians, okay, the coaches came onto the pitch as soon as a goal was awarded, they, like, they had this, this victim complex, like, card up their sleeve. They were ready yeah, to yeah, yeah. as soon as the opposition score a goal. Just like, right, fuck you then. We're going to beat the shit out of all of the, the officials, the opposition and everything. And then just somebody just, just says like, Hey, masseuse, pull the machete. And 
you know, he, he pulls out his, his AK-47 from his bag. <laughs> In Dyer's autobiography, he says, I turned round and I'm, he said, I'm a Seuss. He was chasing the goalkeeper around the pitch, <laughs> which I imagine being like Pac-Man. Like he's yes. just kind of like, he's just like legging it away. I also have, I have it and in my head. The next. The, the goalkeeper and the masseuse are the exact same speed, even though one of them yeah, is yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But there's no way the masseuse is giving up. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're both the same speed and both have infinite fitness levels. So the, the next sentence, right? So he's chasing the goalkeeper around the pitch. By now, and like for reference, you remember the Apple Stadium. You remember what it looks like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like, and it's, you know, it's the, it's the ground that the uh, Pacific Nations mm. Stadium in Rugby World Cup 2011 based Yes, it is. You know. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay. So bearing the image of that stadium in mind yeah. really helps with the next Yeah, thing, okay? yeah. He was chasing the goalkeeper around the pitch. By now, we were chasing the other Tahiti players around the athletics track yes. at the Appia Stadium. <laughs> about five seconds before you said that, I was thinking, I hope that's what this is about to say. I I love the thought that, like, I, I imagine that, like, they each but, did genuinely keep to one lane each. Yeah, yeah. But it's so cartoonish. Yeah. All of them chasing around the athletics track. It's also, so, like, Charlie Chaplin. I love the thought that all the spectators were just like sat there, you know, gobbling on their crisps uh, that they bought from Lee Mears at halftime. Just thinking like, oh, good show this is. We're getting more sport than we bargained for. And like they're they're witnessing so much here. Like they've seen a lot of rugby, not a lot of football, sorry. Maybe a little bit of rugby. You know, they're getting a mini steeplechase in the meantime. (laughs) I mean... They're, they're getting a, like a hit and run as well, yeah. uh, potentially. It's a lot of sport for the price of one. <laughs> so as they're chasing them round, the Samoan police force descend onto the pitch in order to break the fight up. Right. Uh, so they start pulling the players apart that aren't being running around the pitch. Mm. Needless to say, the game gets abandoned. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> and also like all the Fijian reserves and everything are storming onto the pitch as well by this point. Whole mm. thing's being... You know, that sort of extent chased. Yeah. Uh, so the game gets abandoned, right? At which point the complaint is lodged and sent to FIFA mm-hmm. who review it. And I don't know how long the review process took. I don't know how long it lasted, but I think it was about a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fiji, in that time after the game was abandoned, said, well, the game was abandoned before it was finished. So it should be replayed. Uh, whose good idea was that? <laughs> However, in the meantime, right, on a more macro level, because the Samoan police got involved, right? Eight members of the Fijian team, of their, like, starting team, <laughs> or the team on the pitch, are arrested. No! However, luckily for them, right, <laughs> they had, in their starting team, Jahir Khan. Okay. Okay? This might not sound notable to you. Okay. But he was a police inspector himself. Ooh. And so, because he was a police inspector, he managed to get the whole team let out and let off all the charges. <laughs> what a hero slash prick. Yep. So, FIFA then decide that yet Tahiti are winners. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's fair on balance. I don't think that replay was a, such a good idea. Yeah, they decide there's not going to be a replay. And they also... Give Fiji like a severe warning and say, you know, we're not going to give you any home games for a year. <laughs> Which, okay, yeah. fine. However, 
Fiji then played New Zealand later that year. Mm -hmm. Okay? Okay. During which game, New Zealand scored a goal. And this one's even foggier on details. I can't find as much on this because it was less of a kind of notable game. Uh, New Zealand scored a goal. Fiji complained about it to the referee again. And once again, (laughs) the coach runs onto the pitch and starts screaming at the referee. (laughs) Now, I have... This coach is my hero. All I know about this coach coming onto the onto the pitch in this New Zealand game is that it's referred to as a similar incident. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! And he punches him, and the masseuse starts attacking the goalie. (laughs) It's what can be boiled down to two words: similar incident. So, okay. So, having now assaulted, physically assaulted team, like team, opposition team members, and the referee and the officials, twice in a year, FIFA make the decision to ban Fiji from international football for five years. (laughs) Which coincides with the time in which Severo Corradua would have made the Fijian national football team. Oh my god. So, Korodua Dua, super boot, bloody super boot himself, would be a dual code international if a masseuse didn't chase a goalkeeper with a machete. <laughs> and I feel like we've concluded that in the world of this podcast, it was a machete. It was a machete, sure. Oh my god, that is the most insane sporting story possibly ever told on this podcast and there have been a few like i i I am flabbergasted uh i can't use that word very often i i love this fijian coach i want to know more about him it was probably yeah probably a job for another day but i i'm a fan of him oh absolutely uh he was german his name was rudy gudendorf oh and the other thing he did after this game right Mm. when they all got out they all got out of jail uh, he told his team, well, we basically won that game, but for some biased referees. Yeah, of course so he, he said the... that. So he bought them the beers anyway. Oh, what a nice, wholesome way to finish the story. What a lovely way to finish that story that involves a machete yeah, chase yeah. around an athletic track. Look, forget all of the knife crime that went on in the middle of it. Let's raise a glass to all of the beers uh, that, that got uh, drunk at the end of that in this nice little super boot uh, storytelling circle. So, I'm going to tell you some more incredible things about Rudy Gutendorf. Okay, okay. Rudy Gutendorf, right, retired from coaching in 2003 Mm -hmm. after coaching the Samoa national football team. Okay. Right? However, he holds the world record for the most teams coached. Okay. He has coached 55 teams in 32 countries across the five continents. Bloody hell, that's a good journeyman rating. Yep. Jesus Christ. So, is is he Bjorn Basson's dad? So, okay, 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 okay. So I'm just going to very quickly run through just the national teams he's coached. Okay. Okay, just the national teams, right? Bermuda, Chile, Bolivia, Venezuela, Granada, Trinidad and Tobago, Barbuda, Botswana, Australia, New Caledonia, Nepal, Tonga, Tanzania, Fiji, (laughs) Ghana, Nepal again, second stint, Fiji again, he came back, China, 
Uh, no, so he got banned. Fiji got banned from football for five years. So he went to coach Ghana and Nepal in between, <laughs> and then came back to Fiji. That's phenomenal. I mean, he wasn't banned; it was the country. He then left to coach China, then Iran, then China again, then Mauritius, then Zimbabwe, then Rwanda, then Samoa, where he retired. I tell you what, the fact that he coaches so many places explains, or the kind of geographical info he needed in order to create all of these, you know, agendas referees had against his team, whoever was at the time. Absolutely. So, um, I want to say, we, I'm glad we've ran through the teams now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, uh, we are, we're about, 40... usually we're about 30 minutes before we get to the kickoff, and we're about 50 now. Yeah, we are 45 minutes in, and we haven't started talking about the game yet. No. Should we do that now? Let's do that now. Okay. Let's do that right away. Right away. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The, the thing is, so, there's a conundrum of the very first thing that happens in the game. Do we talk about it now or do we talk about it in the dick of the day section? Because let's be honest, it, early spoiler, 50 minutes into the podcast... The first thing that happens in the game is a big dick of the day contender. Right after, for the Phoebe, before the game, mm. uh, we say I'm going to start the game. Yeah. Uh, Fiji bring out all of their extended squad yes. to do the Phoebe together. Yeah, yeah. Um, None of them hit the referee. No, <laughs> just as well. Um, yeah, which is a fun intimidation tactic. Yes. Making it look like you've got 40 players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Earl Curtin saying on the commenta- commentary, uh, they probably had the Italians worried there, thinking they were a bit outnumbered. Um, but then they all so went no, off the field. No, Earl, I think they knew it was a 15 v 15 game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is why we have officials. Uh, Keith Lawrence, the referee, of course. I mean, some of the Fijians... Oh, we'll go back to Keith Lawrence. Uh, some of the um, Fijians didn't realise there wasn't seven players on their team, but, you know. Yes. I'm glad that you've made the same uh, same observation on that. So, no, let's start with the start of the game. Yeah. So, this tactic that happened all the time in 1907, people are probably used to us talking about, but not as used to we're used to bloody seeing. Yes. Because it happens constantly. Of kicking the ball deliberately into the dead ball line so that they'll ground it, it'll be a 22 metre and you regain the ball mm-hmm. and get kind of a net gain. It's like really easy, cheap yardage that people start doing about two games into this tournament. Yeah. And then everyone does on every kickoff. Yeah. It's so dull. It is. And you understand completely why they change it almost immediately after yeah. the World Cup. Yeah. So yeah, as you say, it's, it's very common, yeah. Kick it dead because it was only a 22 rather than a scrum back. And so Oscar Collado takes the first kickoff of the game and he goes for that. However, the kick comes up about, what, a yard short of the try line? Yeah, yeah, and bounces. Yes. Yeah. And it's taken by the, the Fijian left winger, Selopeli Tamvula. Um, what do you think, uh, what do you think of his decisions after this? 
stupid. Yep. So he immediately grounds the ball, not realising he's carried it back over his own try line, and hands the ball immediately to Italy. Yep. Uh, which is just a hell of a way to start the game. And you could Great see the whole Fijian team just looking at him and just thinking, you dick, you could have done literally anything else other than that. I also enjoy like later in the game, there's points where Superboot starts sending the kickoffs down the wing of Katita for Italy. Mm. And there's so many points where he's catching the ball like on the try line and kind of thinking about whether to like imitate uh, Tamvula on uh, on what he <laughs> did, or, like take the piss out of him a little bit, but you know, would just kick it back normally like a normal winger would. Well, yeah, like he gets the ball um, in that position later, mm. uh, and and kicks it back himself. Yeah, yeah, from behind his own try line, which no one did at the time, and barely makes any yards. Yes, but he's just too terrified of what happened in the first minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's a complete howler by Tabula mm. on the at, at the start of the game. Luckily, it doesn't lead to an Italian try. However, it does eventually because, lead to Italian well, points. I mean, Italy have a clear try scoring opportunity. But the 8 and 9 both go to try and pick up the ball. The 8 gets in the 9's way. He ends up fumbling the ball backwards. Both of them go to pick the ball up again. They fumble the ball backwards again. 8 dives on it. Fiji pile everyone over it. And Keith Lawrence, because he's a dickhead, just blows it as an automatic turnover for Fiji. Yes. You know that uh, that meme of the butterfly? Like the... the Is this the... Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Keith Lawrence, you've got to imagine his every decision is this. Like, you know, when... He sees a rock. It's, is this unplayable ball? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he loved that. I don't think there's a single rock he lets play. Like, I've never seen anybody so conclusively and decisively say that ball's unplayable. Literally as soon as a guy gets tackled. So quickly. Yeah. Yeah, like he, before he even commits the man to the rock, he's blown it. Yeah. The moment Fiji puts someone over the top, he blows it as a... No point wasting our time, fellas. That ball's never yeah, going to come out. It's not happening. None of this is ever happening. I hate this. And the game is so stop-start. It's bloody good old days, isn't it? Good old days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one could communicate. No one could catch. No one knew where the ball bounced. And everyone was... Everything was... Every single phase was blown as a stoppage. Yep. And of course, this always led to scrums. And Italy, for the majority of the match, had the upper hand in the scrums. Yeah. uh, Having picked three props as their kind of starting formation. So they were dominating the majority of scrums. And the uh, first or second scrum of the match, they get a free kick. And it's interesting. Oh, it's the third scrum of the match. Oh, okay. Third, third scrum, of scrum of the match. My apologies. Yeah, yeah. There's three scrums in really quick succession. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they get uh, they get uh, a free kick. And uh, Alessandro Gini has it. Uh, and this is like maybe 10 metres out from the uh, the Fijian try line. Mm-hmm. And then Gini puts the ball down, about to tap it, maybe give it to his forwards. And then takes it back 10 metres voluntarily. Yes. Uh, and I'm thinking, like, what the hell is he doing? And the commentators call it. They say, well, yeah. he's just going to give it to Collado and he's going to go for a drop kick, you know, a free shot at goal. And he does exactly that. But the interesting thing about this is that they've got a screen in front of Collado. Yeah. Which is like they invent the screenplay at that point. And like, the, the the commentators, so Grant Nisbet and Dill Curtin, are both saying like, oh, I wonder why all those players were stood in front of Collado. Like between him and the truck, what they do, maybe they're, they're there to obstruct some Fijians. Well, they, yeah, they kind of say like, oh, this is a... It's a really interesting tactic. They're clearly there to obstruct. Mm. Um, and But then they have the conversation of, well, could you be called for that? Could you be penalised for that? Is it obstruction? So, well, I suppose they weren't moving. They kind of have that conversation in real yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're very clear in like why they're there. Yeah. It's just 
is this legal? Is this okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we do this? And to be fair, in 87, it's a valid question because it's not been done <laughs> yeah, before. Yeah. But, you know, it's smart and Collado's drop goal does go over because he's completely protected and unchallenged in his drop kick yeah. attempt. It's a really nice drop kick. And, yeah, and obviously that was allowed. You could do it straight off a, uh, a free kick at that point. So, yeah, that's uh, that was the first point of the game. Italy go I love absolutely everything that happened in the first five minutes of this game is no longer a law. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Everything is a law that World Rugby have changed since then. Yeah, 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 yeah. It'd be interesting to know how this game would pan out with modern rules. But, yes, it's... It'd be a goal and dropout for one. Yeah, very true. Uh, I think that's something that Tamvula would be very grateful for. Yes, yeah, so they get the, the first uh, first points of the game. And then mm-hmm. Fiji strike back immediately, but not quite on the scoreboard. So they spread the ball wide. Tomasi Tharma has a great run for the try line. And then good old Mazio Innocenti, our friend... Goes for the most deliberate professional foul you will see in the whole World Cup, and I loved it because there's no yellow cards for like technicals no, no cards at this at point. Oh yeah, no at all. Cards. But like you couldn't get sent off for a technical, and that's not a penalty try because it was in the middle of a ruck. So like it was, and it was right on the wing. Bear in mind, one meter out from his own try line, and he completely spoiled Fiji's ball. Really smart. He is really, really good in this game. Yeah, yeah, certainly by the standards um, of 87. But, like, well, every yeah. time there's a loose ball, he's dropping on it, like... That's the thing. Like, Mauricio Innocenti is an absolutely perfect underdog player. Yeah, yeah. Like, if your team is an underdog, you want him in your side. Yeah. Because there's an awful lot in this World Cup of people standing off because they're afraid of contact, people not dropping mm. on the ball because they're afraid of the, the pile on the ruck happening. Yes. Even though, you know, it's probably Keith Florence, so he's just going to blow for a, yeah. a, a scrum instantly. Uh, there's an awful lot of kind of cowardly rugby of people not taking contact themselves. Yeah. Innocente has absolutely no fear in anything he does. Agreed. I say he drops on every ball. He's the only player doing that. Mm. He's the only player diving on the ball bravely. Yeah, yeah. Really getting in there. Like, he is absolutely getting stuck into everything. Mm. He covers so much ground. You completely get why he is the captain. Definitely. And, um, like, he's one of the few players that, fantastic. even though it probably wouldn't be a particularly high level, but he would physically be able to play these days because he would actually, like, commit himself to, like, making tackles yeah. and stuff. Uh, which he obviously is, wasn't really a thing of, back then as much. He is w- one of, if not the most committed players in this whole world. Cup. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, I think he's, he's like, top three I bet that uh, he's had conversations with Michele Lamaro before about this kind of thing. Obviously, with him yeah. being on the Italian board now, I bet Lamaro has like had respectful conversations with him about like you know approach to playing for your country and so on. Like it's uh, exactly that'd be quite cool to, to know. Obviously, you know, it's the Italian seven and the captain, mm, so exactly. the comparison's very obvious. But it is the thing I thought of as well, okay, Lamoro. He's just he's just Lamoro's definitely grown up watching watch players him. like him as well as like yeah. probably more than players like Parise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he feels more like the if you compare kind of legendary Italian captains, Lamoro is more in the shadow of Innocente. Sure. More following the footsteps of him than Sergio Parise. Yeah, yeah. Even that's a more obvious comparison. Yeah. Or, you know, immediate comparison, I suppose. Do you want to know something quite fun as well? That speaking Please. of um uh, screenplays and so on, Fiji run a hit boot play. What? Like yeah, yeah, for a penalty. But they haven't quite perfected it, so they do it with Sande running out the back instead of a fly half. But it's mm. it's like they do it like a wall move, but it goes out the back to a flanker. But it's like it's ingenious, but also Italy do defend it and stuff. But it's just like I just yeah didn't pay any attention to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was I from the resulting penalty of what just... Innocenti did, so you're probably too distracted by the incredible piece of shithousery that's just gone on. Yeah, I so I have written about this time. Mm. This is, and then stars, so shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, it took, probably took me slightly longer to realise quite how shit this game was in terms of quality. Mm. Uh, but it was quite, yeah. And so we have a moment where Tomasi Farmer knocks the ball on. He attempts to do like a like a flying kick of it as he's losing his footing afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He misses the ball completely. And then he's a moment later, like... If they dive on it, they spread it out to his to his opposite number, Kodita, the other number eleven, mm. who gets dragged into touch instantly. Just run. No, he didn't even get dragged into. He runs into. Touch, yeah, yeah. Tries to take him on the outside and just gets closer and closer to the touchline with every step. And it's just it was a historic moment. Him missing his attempt of illegal fly hack after dropping the ball. Yes. Like, and it's like a diving fly hack. Like the ball's too far in front of him because he's mm. knocked on that far. Yeah. That he has to kind of like extend his arms, his legs fully in that way, so they're like. Like a slide tackle style. Yeah, yeah. But he misses it completely and just falls on his ass. Yeah. And then the opposition spread to the other wing and he just runs into touch. And it's just a great moment of summing up how bad this game was. Mm, yeah, and yeah. And then I have written immediately afterwards, like, Omg Rugby. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, so you've got the hit boot player, which I missed completely. Yeah, yeah. But you've also got a moment where Fiji off a line out to the standard, like, tap down, 9 to 10, 10 to 13, running a really good crash ball mm. line. He recycles the ball quickly. Uh, and then one of the Fijian forwards picks her goes, and they break right through the middle. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it is Sunday himself. Yeah, breaks through, and just like really good standard set move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, the sort of thing that like Eddie Jones in, and they actually react going over two phases. Will... And like, I won't, I yeah, won't yeah. say at this stage that the second play- phase was pre-planned, but like they no, were prepared no. for the possibility of Italy not folding properly, which you know is quite ahead of its time. You know, as a piece of thinking, and like mm. I think that's the phase where like they managed to weak out a penalty out of Italy because they lost their discipline whilst being on the back foot. Uh, Super sad- sadly misses his first shot at goal, hitting the post. But Italy do drop it that, that moment did make me think is this the biggest 10-year gap in any stage of rugby right going from the standards we're watching now to in 11 years time eddie jones invents the free phase move yeah no that is an interesting right? point like it's only 10 years so the difference between 2011 and now which we obviously we watched previously on the podcast mm is the same gap as the gap between here and Free Yeah, Free. that is really interesting, isn't it? Eddie Jones is a fucking genius, man. Like yeah. the amount the amount he has done to just revolutionize rugby across like three or four generations is just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like there's there are so few coaches that have had anything near the influence he has had on the game. Like there's basically it's Wayne no one. Smith and him. Yeah, it's Wayne yeah, Wayne Smith's the other one because like Wayne Smith um has kind of changed the way that attacks have kind of evolved as time's gone What's on. The- Notorious thing that Wayne Smith used to flip between being an attack coach and yes. coach every few years. Yeah, yeah. He's the only person that could because the game would keep up. The, the game would catch up with him, and he would find yeah. a way to then outrun himself. Like God, they're they're both yeah. two of the yeah, arguably like the two greatest international rugby coaches. Like on a pure level of innovation uh, that you'll yeah. ever see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both both absolute geniuses when it comes to rugby. Um, yeah, and look, it, uh, talking about Eddie Jones isn't something I want to make a habit of, but yes. Who <laughs> get ready for that on the channel soon. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, good point. So, after this as well, Fuji then decide, well, we've done two really interesting things that show there may be a future in this sport in a row. Yeah. Should we do a really, really shite set move instead? Go on. So, um, off a of scrum in the 22, Fiji set up and they have this interesting move where the backs align really tight to each other. Ten receives the ball and they try to do this intricate move 
where everyone is so close to each other that the defence don't even get anywhere near them before they spam around all the passes. And they just throw the most obvious ball in the world to Tuvula. And he should, by any metric in any defence, get nailed. But, fortunately for him, he's absolutely rapid. And out-sprints everyone and almost makes the corner and just gets caught narrowly by Tabaldi. It's a cheat code called being Fijian. That sometimes yeah, comes in handy bullshit. in rugby. Yeah, yeah. And then they call it back and Grant Nisbet says, what an inspired, incredible move by Fiji. It's like, no, it was literally nothing. They literally, it would be more effective if they passed it straight away to the winger. Yeah, literally, literally. Because like, you know, you get a man in space and there was a lot of space at this point because people hadn't mastered like holding width and stuff. Yeah. Of course, another thing, speaking of wingers, sometimes, sometimes wingers do good things, don't they? I've heard the rumour. Katita scores a try. Katita scores a great try. His finish on that is class, you know. Brilliant finish. Because, like, I mean, he is, he is given good ball out wide, in fairness. Like, mm. the, they spread the ball well to the wing Italy duo. Is it our first phase, I think? Maybe second phase? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's yeah. quite early on in the attack, anyway. And, yeah, he, like, he manages to slither past Tomasi Thurman. Of course, it's, it's got to be first phase, because otherwise Keith Lawrence would have blown for a scrum. That's a good point, yeah, yeah. There's a, the phase clock always stopped at one in this game, didn't it? But yes, so yeah, he, he, he slithers past uh, Tomasi Farmer. Oh, I mean, Tomasi Farmer is checking for his wallet. Yeah, he is. He is. Uh, and you know what? That's good advice for everybody to check for your mm. wallets. Mm. Sorry, I was just, I, you caught me. I've got like I was so distracted by the whole thing about the the, the masseuse and the machete that I just <laughs> I just forgot about wallet gate. Uh, it's really funny. It's really funny. Everyone check for your it's wallets. The, it's the, the most hilarious story anyone's ever told. Oh, the light's just gone out. Funny enough, in the back of your uh, the office you're recording. Oh, it's back on now. Oh, oh I, I really I should have said wallet, check for your wallet. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, I missed an opportunity. Stefano Barbara, rugby's greatest comedian. Yes. Uh, but yeah, no. Um, uh, Katita beats Colin Duadua to the uh, to the corner. Uh, absolutely, just ends up glides on the outside of him, and then yeah, gas to finish. Brilliant finish. It's one of those we mentioned before repeatedly, but Katita is still Italy's all-time top try scorer, mm. and there are many players in this era still holding records like that. Yeah, uh, other than maybe you know Campesi, mm. and you see why in finishes like this. Like it's just. World class. Yeah, yeah. He's one of those those few players who, where like you can give a, a few players in this era at least, where you can give him bad ball and he'll still do something off it, uh, which I think yeah. was really valuable to this Italy team. And like Earl Curtin says in commentary at one point that uh, that he feels like Katita would get in basically any other national team in the world. He did say the same yeah. thing about Massioletti, which I don't think I quite agree with, but. Uh, Marcelletti's solid. He's solid, he's solid. Katita's rapid. Like, yeah. Katita's definitely like, he's got the raw materials of a very good winger. Katita was a rugby player, mm. you know, like, that sounds like the most obvious statement in the world. He was, though. Um, it's true. He was a rugby player, and he knew as well it was. What can I say about it? No, like, he, was a, he wasn't just an out-and-out sprinter. Like, he was a smart player. Mm. Uh, in the way, you know, like, like some players are really good because of their strength, their size, yeah, their skill, yeah. whatever. Like, some players are because of their smart. And most players, like, nowadays, a world-class player will have a combination of all these yes. things, right? Daniele Tabaldi has another really good game, I think. Mm. But he is a guy... Who has got where he is entirely a hundred percent on natural talent? Yeah, there is zero percent smarts and zero percent work ethic in that guy's game. Hundred percent agreed. He looks like he took rugby up about a month ago, mm. and is just such a good freakish athlete. He has the perfect set of skills that he is getting away with it and doing very well. Yeah, but he's never watched a rugby match in his life before. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I, t- I totally get that. I totally get that because like 
quite often you will see like he'll do a kick and you think like mm. oh that's a really impressive kick like he's that that's gone miles and it's gone out on the full yeah exactly. like it's a beautiful spiral that's landed in row z right there like that is the sort of thing that sums up daniele tabaldi there's a lovely moment in the second half mm. where collado slides for a really good yes kind of traditional kick uh, do you want to run out? Um, is, is this the one where uh, he's, and super boots? He's chasing it and he goes for the fly hack, and it goes out on the fall, and then you can hear somebody shouting on the microphone, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> no, but that's another great moment. Yeah, that wasn't what I was thinking. No, of. go yes. go for the one you were thinking of. No, so Colada slides for a really nice kick, and Corridor do it, blaze super boot, regathers, and of course because he's blaze super boot, he. Thumps it miles, <laughs> thumps it as far as he can. Classic super boot. At which point, Tobaldi, however, is alert to it, takes it on the fall, which was rare. Mm, point, very rare, especially yeah. from like reads it really well, regathers it, and just goes, "Well, anything you can do, I can do better," and just hits it as hard as he can and kicks it dead. <laughs> yes, I do. And recall like, this. It's, I do it's recall a this. Really good kick. It's a really impressive kick, dead. isn't it? Like yeah. physically, it's an impressive kick. But if he was stood 10 metres further back, it would be tactically a very good kick. Yes. Yeah. But as it is, it doesn't, it doesn't, no. it doesn't Aesthetically go, lovely good. from Tobaldi. Yeah. But tactically shite. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's a few more things. Fiji have a moment where they nearly go coast to coast with like what would be the try of the tournament, mm. where uh, Superboot makes a nicely timed pass, sort of really quick catch pass, and they find Nandolo more in like, space. More like Super Hands. Right? Like the character from Peep Show. Yeah. Same guy. Yeah. So, yeah, Nandolo has the ball in space and throws the most forward pass of the World Cup, which Keith Lawrence originally lets go until his hacking move dismantles and then he kind of goes actually i think that pass might have been forward and like he kind of twos and throws with whether to give that or the line out which he eventually does give shortly before this mm. right uh italy knocked the ball on one of their own players regathers it and keith lawrence says advantage <laughs> and he plays an advantage and the thing is right so Italy then fumble the ball backwards and drop on it on the road line and proceed a scrum five, which gives Fiji like a five meter head start on where it was knocked on. Mm-hmm. Meaning that they get an advantage from the opposition playing the ball. <laughs> and like this would be remarkable if it weren't for the fact he does it three times. No. There so he just doesn't know the rules. Where he plays advantage when the opposition team have the So there's a, a point in the second half where Italy kick away Fiji's advantage. What? <laughs> so he goes, advantage, you know, like, Italy knocked the ball on, one of their own players regathers it, and he shouts advantage to Fiji. Italy then kick it, Fiji regather the ball, and he goes, advantage over. So he forgot what or team he was playing advantage to? Seemingly. Jesus Christ, that's funny. But he also once does Italy do that, and they kick it out in the full, and that makes sense, because then they do get an advantage. But it's just, it's like, you have the thing with Wayne Barnes often playing advantage beyond the team dropping the ball or things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And at least the moments like the Shane Williams try against France in 2010 from the playoff. Yes, yeah, yeah. Different deal for the opposition to play two phases <laughs> and you don't be calling <laughs> And kick it away. Like, <laughs> yep. that's funny, that is. Uh, there's, yeah, there's a few moments like that. Keith, Keith Lawrence has quite a few moments which will, I think some yeah. of them we will come, in, come on to because there's a couple of very specific ones. But before we get to that, there's a few 
moments where the crowd come into the game that I want to to sort of cover. Mm. So the crowd clearly had if any, if they had anything it was a sense of humor uh, i think t- it, it's very typical uh, as commentators often say and so on fijian crowds often have a great sense of humor uh, when when they go to the rugby that's a thing that's been said on previous games in the world cup and so on uh, stuff like when superboot played dead at the end of the game the you know a few games back and the crowd were lapping it up they found it hilarious but the sort of thing where you don't want to laugh they often just charge onto the pitch with machete yeah 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 oh oh it's just classic isn't it just, it's just bad all cahoots so there's the sort of thing though that if you're a player you don't want people to laugh at you is if you're Willy Rokawaloa the Fijian 10 and you go for a drop goal that goes really badly so badly the crowd start laughing at you that's the sort of thing where you don't want that to happen you really really don't there's another moment that really made me laugh just just me alone mm-hmm. <laughs> so Italy really neatly really nicely clean line that ball slapped down off the top and very like modern style Line up ball slapped down to Gini the scrum off, uh-huh. who goes for a box kick immediately. Uh, this is then charged down by, I believe it's John Sande, uh, or Michael Gores, one of the yes, one of the Fijian back rows. Yep. He charged it down. He knocks it on. Gini <laughs> regathers it and tries to tries to kick again. Knocks it on. Yeah, and, and it then falls on the floor. Both teams have knocked it on. So Keith Lawrence obviously goes play on uh they pass it back to Collado, who thumps it and clears it what i particularly enjoy at this point is after Gini has fallen over with the loose ball on the floor he tries to just hack the ball on backwards towards his own try line yes. and he's already in his own 22 it's like what the hell are you trying to achieve here it all happens so quickly i had to rewatch it though yeah yeah, yeah such a like cavalcade of errors yeah yeah yeah. i didn't know what happened so i actually don't blame keith lawrence on this one no no, of course not no no no. who knows who has a clue what's going on there yeah there's uh of course so speaking of so italy italy clearing the ball okay Mm. there's a point and uh i can tell you because we're recording this quite late on this is this is the clip that i posted on twitter to promote this podcast so there's a moment where fiji just completely forget that they're playing a game of 15 aside rugby because they run a few i would say confused passes mm. where they're not really sure how they want to get around this defense and particularly one thrown by Tharma, where he just starts to make a break and then aimlessly lobs a miss pass to somebody who is marked already yep then it gets more and more fascinating as it goes on because after the ball is knocked on by fiji i mean first off tavula gets kind of not knocked out but is he's he, he's out because he uh, dislocates his wrist? No, is it his wrist? Yes. His elbow? His elbow? Yeah. Can we before? Yeah. Can we just talk about this moment? Yes. Right. So Tavula goes uninjured. Yeah. And I want to ask you: Did you fast forward through the injury time? No. As he's been taken off. No. So I have a question and an observation. Yes. The question: Why is a teenage girl in a beret with a lacy bow? plaid shirt and a little like leather handbag coming on to help Tuavua be assessed. I do not know. I do not know. Great, because neither do I. Yeah. Um, also, the way the doctors struggle to assemble the stretcher. Yeah. That's, they have, there's like, there's like three so communication breakdowns in like four he's seconds. He's on the ground in pain, Tuavua. 
he is like really messed up and there are like 10 people gathered around him way more than there has to be people just gathered around him like 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 it's the end of a funeral they've all come to pay their respects yes it's it's actually kind of horrible then the guy runs off a stretcher under his arm and they put it on the ground and then like three of the the people three of that like 10 man group gather around the stretcher and all start like prodding it and pulling different bits and there's almost a minute of them trying to put this stretcher together and having no idea how it works. Yeah, yeah. And eventually they do, and they do manage to get them off the field. But it's an incredibly yeah, yeah. confused injury period on they many accounts. They also have too many people to carry him. So they have like people holding obviously the four legs of it, carrying him off. And then they also have more people just holding it underneath, including the girl with the leather handbag and the like beret. Who's just kind of there, and then she kind of walks off, and she comes back on at the next injury as well. I don't know. I don't know what she was doing there. She mm. was like, I don't know. If she was a work experience kid. <laughs> fascinated, mm. fascinated. Of course. So when Tumvula goes down, mm. he was the most, the, the second most interesting injury to happen in that uh, passage of play. I say injury, but because when he knocked the ball on uh, and it was kind of skittling along the floor. Kaloda goes to pick the ball up and gets absolutely decked by Inoshenti, who's also going for the ball. And I just found it hilarious, like, getting knocked out by his own captain. And Inoshenti, like, just didn't care. Like, and he then he fumbles the ball run. backwards and Inoshenti just twats it into the crowd, like, as the yes. as the ball's fumbling along the floor. Uh, I just found it hilarious. Again, if you watch back that video on my I- Twitter, you will watch out for that at the end where Kaloda just so- gets decked by his captain. It's really funny. <laughs> I, I'd seen that clip you posted before watching this game. Right. Recording this the day before the... Um, yeah. Day before the, the, the this episode goes out. Yeah, hours. yeah. I'd seen that clip, and it was really funny when I watched it on Twitter. Then when I watched it during the game, I was just like, yeah, it's just another bit of this game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Yeah, so no. Spot, the thing is, so I posted that on Twitter as soon as I mm. saw it. Right. And then I realised that there is... A moment I should have posted instead, basically oh, immediately afterwards. Post more of them. Keep posting more. Oh, yeah, yeah. Them. I'll post this one. I'll post this one. But I have just written in massive letters, OMG, at one point. And I think you know what I'm about to go to? Please, go there. Fiji have a line-out, and they have a very interesting set-play run. The set-play being... The 10 and 12 run a simple switch, right? Yeah. And so they, they do that, and they aim to hit Tom Mitchell in midfield. Tom Mitchell, however, doesn't quite go to plan. He knocks the ball backwards. And, you know, most good teams will have a plan B. In this case, the Fijians' plan B was Manasso and Koro, the open side flanker, would just pick the ball up and drop kick it over. Absolutely thunder twat <laughs> yeah. it through the posts. And it, it, he nails it. But, like, it's the most unconventional drop goal ever because it's literally, as soon as the ball is available to go into his hands, he is going to do it quickly enough that nobody can tell him not to. And, look, this isn't the first time we've seen him have an addiction to kicking, and it isn't the last either because the amount of times he gets the ball and thinks, right, I'm going to kick this before anyone tells me not to. (laughs) He has such an obsession with it. And so we see the first ever forward to score points from a kick in a Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, there's two moments that I thought this could have been when you said Fiji ran a switch off a line-out around this period. Yes. Uh, but this is very much the better one. Yes. There's a big vibe of the back shit in the bed, so he goes, fine, I'll just do it myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's just and like, he, he was... It. He His work rate was based on 
if if they drop the ball and it happens to land in my hands, I'm going for a drop kick here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, like he, yeah, he wanted the chance to show off, so he worked very hard. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And like, they were Fiji's only points in the first half because mm. they went in seven three down. Uh, there are other points in the first half that we'll come to, but like, I just, I just found that really interesting. So yeah, so the other switch Fiji run around. The yeah, team, go for that. Right. So ten runs the ball in, and he's looking to switch it back to twelve. Right. In doing so, he has fixed, he has lined up Barber, the Italian 12 and funniest man in the world. Yeah. And as he's doing it, right, he goes and pops the ball back, having completely committed Barber. Barber has gone to wrap his arms around. And the ball hangs in the air so long that Barber makes the interception. The player he's fixed makes the interception because the ball hangs in the air way too long. And Tom Mitchell is nowhere nearby <laughs> to try and take the switch. He's so far behind. It's it's one of those funny niche things when you realise that's possible. Yeah. You know, and it is funny because Barber's involved. It's it's yes. one of those things that happens He's when you hilarious. pick the two fucking Ronnies in the centres, isn't it? But <laughs> it, is, it is what it is. The other funniest moment in the first half, yes. if I may, uh, and this might be a dick of the day moment, I don't know. Go for it. The Fijian Nines kick. Go go on, go on. Mewalu. Uh, so from a kickoff from... Uh, from the kickoff from their drop goal. Yes, yes. The ball goes straight to Nawalu. Yep. Right? The scrum up. Oh my god, this and is good. And feminist icon of Fiji. Yep. And he goes, fair enough, we're not making the same in the first half, I'm kicking this back, I'm just returning this. And he levers it as hard as he can, so hard that his not-so-super boot leaves his foot. And it goes miles as well, like, his, uh, yeah, not yeah, miles, yeah. but like, it goes a considerable distance, his boot. But... This isn't even the best part of this story yet, because he goes to put his boot back on. Uh, and did you notice this? What happened? So when, well, so he they kick it. He kicks it. His boot comes off as he's doing so. Yeah, his kicking his kicking boot as well, which yeah. is stress. Like his kicking boot. It's the comes striking off of the ball it. is what sends his boot like, flying. It knocks the laces undone or whatever. Sure, like, yeah, and yeah. The boot comes off and flies miles forward. Yes, and so Italy obviously go brilliant. We're playing this as quickly as possible. Yeah, they play the lineup super quickly. Please inform me, I probably missed it. So, oh, it's funny. So what happens is, Fiji steal the line out and pass it back to Nawalu, who is still putting his boot on. He is still, like, doing his laces up and has to get up, catch the ball and fling it on. And the referee gives a free kick against him for not having his boot on properly. Wait, that was... Because the commentators go... The commentators say, like... I have no idea what that free kick's for. I can't see anything in the line out. And the referee does point at him. So he got penalised for not having his shoe on. Wow. Which is incredible. Like, in a way, that's in dick of the day territory. But I kind of want to excuse him because it's not his fault. So, yeah, he's penalised for not having his boot on. Yes. And immediately, Italy then go, right, well, we know what we're doing here, lads. Collado sets in the pocket. They set the screenplay up. And Nine goes to tap the ball. And passes it back. At which point the referee calls another free kick to Fiji because the nine only went to tap the ball and didn't actually tap it with his foot. Ah, the Dewey Lake moment. Interesting. I didn't. So I, I was wondering if because what I thought he'd happened. I thought he was penalising a screenplay, even though the defence was ten metres away. No, I'm, that's the moment he, he points to his foot. Right. The referee like lifts his boot and points to his foot. Okay, interesting. Okay, that's that's good bit of clarification on that. 
Have we more or less covered the first half? There's a couple of other good breaks, but I'm conscious that we've talked about a lot of them. Oh, wait, there is there is a try. There's a try before half-time, isn't there? Cucchiella, the Italian prop, scores before half-time. Because Italy do a great break where Katita and Tobaldi are both offloading and they, like from their own 22. And it's really, really nice. Like They spread it out. Massioletti has a bit of a run. Offloads to Collodo, who then decides to kick it. Uh, and you know what? As much as it ruins the great attacking move, it was tactically a very good kick because it gave Italy a five-meter line-out, which they immediately scored from. So, like, the the whole thing happens within the same 30-second period. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was a smart kick by uh, by Collado in the end. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it is just Italy cause a bit of chaos at the line-out mm. and Fiji don't react to it at all. Yeah. And it just leaves the ball lying in front of Cucchiella to just... Pick it up, fall over the line, reach out, jobs are good. Yep. Lovely, lovely, lovely work. Yes. Uh, Kukiela, fun name, fun name. Makes me think it's like the Mark's extra brother who decided to not play rugby and be a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm down with that as a thing. Um, so, uh, let's think I about... I realised as well, I didn't talk about the context of the game. Okay. So, Coming to this game, right? New Zealand have basically qualified. Yeah. Uh, they play Argentina after this. Yeah. Uh, Argentina needs to beat the... If Argentina beat the All Blacks, they qualify for the last... Oh, game, yes, of course. Right? This is important. Fiji are at that point on... It was at this point just two points for a win, one point for a draw, zero points for a loss, no bonus point system, nothing like that. Um, and then if teams are equal on points, it comes down to try scored. Yes. So Fiji come into this game on one win... Five tries. Argentina on three tries and one win, meaning that if they beat the All Blacks and it doesn't matter how many tries they score, they qualify. They win. They but win. also, if they lose the All Blacks um, and score, say, four tries, that would also help their cause. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So they've got to make up some try ground yeah. on Fiji. Uh, Italy go in on two tries and zero wins. So knowing if they beat Fiji here, they need to do so while scoring three tries more than they do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's what they need to do. Yeah. So they know that's their that's their challenge, and they now go into halftime, uh, two tries to the good, leading, knowing kind of what they need to do in this second. Sure, knowing that they need to score one more try and keep a clean sheet. Yeah, or you know the other way around, or just equal, you know, whatever tries yes. to score plus one. Yeah, and they'll make the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. P- pretty simple task for Italy, you'd imagine, when they're in control yeah. of the game. Um, but yes, you're right. That's an important piece of content context, and you'd imagine that any rugby coach with a brain will have reminded them of that uh, at half time. Mm. And this is definitely not something that we're going to return to later in the podcast for any reason. Absolutely. Second half starts. Superboot gets a penalty. The, the score goes to fourteen six. Still to Italy, so it's still a quite a comfortable lead. Bearing in mind, tries are worth four points uh, rather than five at this stage. There's there's a few points where. Fiji look like they could get themselves into good positions. Like there's one where Italy dropped the ball, Nawalu goes to kind of hack it on, tries going the length, pushing people out the way, left, right and centre. And very interesting. So the point where Bryce Lawrence tells off Nicolo, the Fijian flanker, not Bryce Lawrence, Keith Lawrence tells him off. Did you pick up on this, what he says? Yeah, so I did listen in, yeah. Because I did rewind it to listen again. Very strange lecture he gives him. Mm. So what he says is, Keep your feet out of it. Play with your hands. At which point, Rackamroy, the, the captain, slaps him really aggressively on the back um, as the referee is lecturing him. Like he's a Tahitian footballer. 
Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, thankfully the misuse didn't get involved. But what does he mean by that? Keep your feet out of it, play with your hands. Was he telling you off for kicking the ball? It was a ruck. No, it was like, I think it was a ruck thing. Right. Bigger. Well, you're not allowed to use your hands anyway. Yeah, and you're not allowed, you're allowed to use Mind your feet. Mind you, it's, it's Keith you're Lawrence, isn't it? Like, he has no idea so what's going on in the rucks. I don't, I don't know. I just took it as Keith Lawrence being a dickhead and wanted to tell someone off. Yeah. That was basically my interpretation of that. Yeah. That's fair. And also, or maybe he's just angry at seeing a forward do a drop goal. Sure. No, that's, that's also accurate. Uh, I then have also... Uh, oh, yeah, that's a good point, actually. He, play, he does play with his feet a little bit too much. Mm. Uh, I then have... I thought about saving this back for Dick of the Day territory, but I have a very insightful piece of commentary from Earl Curtis. Do you have the same thing recorded that I have? Have you recorded the same thing? Yeah, well, I'm going to play it, and we'll see if it's the Let's same thing. Let's find out. Let's find out. Let's hear now my recording. <laughs> Why, when you're broadcasting a, a, a game of the Rugby World Cup, would you, as an isolated full sentence, just say on mic the word cunts? <laughs> what? And he says it in such an like his his intonation is so positive. I mean, she says the it's word such a matter of fact cunts. way. Do you, see, do you think plural? I only heard cunt rather than cunt. I heard cunts. That's interesting. That's interesting. I only heard one. I only heard one. I thought it just, it was just, you know, reminding through the referee. I'm just going to, for the sake of the listener, play it one more time. Okay. Oh, that's a good point. I, yeah, that might yeah. be singular. That might be singular. So do you know what I think's happened there? What? So uh, Grant Nisbet, the first commentator, said hi to me. And then he's turned around as the second person and just said that. <laughs> I think that's likely. I think he to must which be. Which I would buy cheers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did he say that? Like, it's very clear that that's it's what he's saying. It's hard to hear any, Whether it's, it's singular else, it? or plural. He definitely doesn't say can't. That's the only other thing he could possibly be saying, right? And it doesn't make any sense out of context. It makes more sense for him to just be saying, just be swearing out of context and just, then say <laughs> can't. It's very unusual. And then, I guess unless the producers asked him to do something, he's just gone, can't. No, he definitely says can't. Well, it's a New Zealand accent and they swap vowels at random. Yeah, I know, so, but I think I'm already factoring that in. Can I... I? No, I'm 95% sure that's what he said. Yeah. Can I play you the other uh, uh, recorded clip that I have of Please. this? Uh, do you know what this is going to be? Let's find out. This is, by the way, context. Superboot's taking a penalty. Yeah, so I have that kid in my dick of the day contention. Okay. Because that kid, shut your goddamn mouth. In it? I will, shut I will knock up. him out. You are in the presence of greatness. Yeah. You are in the presence of super boot, of several goddamn Coro Dua Dua. He is lining up a kick at the Rugby World Cup yep. to put Fiji back in the game against Italy in a game what that would be knobhead. Yeah. an upset against a, a more favoured nation, mm. a very well-off nation. It'll be a huge result that could put Fiji into the knockout stages and secure Savaru Korodirudua's place as the greatest player in rugby union history. Yeah. You are watching a work of art be painted. You are watching the Mona Lisa happen here. 
Yeah. You're watching Severo Corridua do it. Take a shot at goal. What is as best? good as rugby gets? That's How it. can you possibly, possibly want to do anything else? How could you want him to get on with just kicking it? And like, he wasn't even taking his time with the kick. It was completely normal. Like, you leave our boy Superboot alone. Look, appreciate I- the artist in front of you. I have one thing to say to this kid. <laughs> he is in the presence of greatness, and it would be nice if he showed some goddamn respect yeah. I w- for our Lord, Saviour, and Superboot. I, I now make it my mission to one day go and find and batter this kid, who this is child, like 25 years older than me, probably. Yeah, he is now probably around 50, and has children of his own. And I hope to goodness he's been to jail. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. I, I tell you what, I hope one day he meets the Fijian misuse. <laughs> yes, in a dark alley. What a prick, man. In a dark Imagine alley being that kid who goes, just kick it. And it's not even yeah. about Jonathan Sexton. What he idiot. meets the Fijian misuse in a dark alley where Stefano Barber isn't there to warn him. <laughs> yeah. Keep an eye on right. his wallet. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's oh, that, that's put me in a really bad mood, that guy. I hate that child. Yeah, me too. I, I hate that child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could attack him myself, I would. Yeah. Because he's like 50 now, you know. <laughs> it's fine. He's, he's like, he's an old man now. Yeah. <sighs> I need Ooh. to unwind. Okay. Masculetti scores a great should try. We, should we, un- yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good way. It's a good way, good way to unwind. Uh, yeah, very nicely worked. Yeah, very yeah. Nice. So Italy go for a kind of yeah first phase move. There's probably been a few phases. It's probably one of the few occasions where that happens. But then Ronnie Corbett gets the ball in midfield uh, and throws quite a nice dummy. Takes a half gap and throws the ball to his partner Ronnie Gaitanello, who then yeah takes it well and floats over a lovely pass to Masialetti on the wing. And I just think just it's dive over. yeah, it's good sort of broken field rugby. Once Barber gets yeah. the ball and goes through, like the commentators are thinking, like, oh, just pass it, just pass it. But he does actually time it very, very well. And I think yeah. that yeah, it's a very well taken try by Italy. He just draws so much of the defense into the two centers mm. as can be done. Yeah, leaves Machetti with as easy a finish as possible. Yes, really, really lovely, really, really nice. Yeah. Like they probably could have scored it and made Machetti's job far harder mm. and made him have to try and round people or beat someone on the way. Yeah, but instead. Just like he does all the work for him. It's just, Barber. It's, it's excellent. A pretty clinical try, I would describe it as. Very, and very it nice. gets Italy back on track a little bit after 20 minutes of being rubbish. Yeah. So, you know, you take that, you take that. This then gets the point of the game where Fiji, you just realise just how terrible they've been all game. And they start yes. forcing absolutely everything. Well, I mean, there's another thing that happens around this period. Go on. Right? As Fiji is starting to force it, uh, Tabaldi, which we talked about earlier, mm. being a player who forces everything he does, yes, he pulls off. I think the greatest, the greatest kind of sculpt of this World Cup, as he makes a super boot. Does he? So he kicks a, you know, he thumps the ball, and it bounces perfectly just before super boot, so that it bounces through his legs and carries on behind him. And you know what? I bet Superboot enjoyed that. Game respects yeah. game. And if Superboot. he was if he was Bigfoot, then that wouldn't happen. His foot would be too big to Megs him. Yeah. Superboot regathers the ball, kicks it long, <laughs> Tobaldi recovers. The tennis match continues. 
And so he put it out on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just the state of things. It's just natural. It's just yeah. it's just how the world works. Oh, yeah, so Fuji starts to force things, and they start to get super more and more involved. Like he starts to put more and more mm. the ball, yes, uh, which he's good with as well. Like he can do more than just boot, boot. Yeah, boot. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's bloody super boot, you know. He's super, he's super not boot. just boot. Exactly, exactly. And super does take a lot of the emphasis in super boots in his mm. in his three syllables. So yes, Italy forcing things, and every time they get an attack, I just don't expect anything to come of it. Until eventually one does have something to come of it, and it feels wrong, where Nawali gets the ball in the backfield and has a run where he kind of links up with Tharma along the way. Mm. Tharma throws a nice uh, inside offload he's about to go into touch. And Nawali, out of pure hope and zero expectation, throws a reverse pass, which happens to land in his hooker's hands. So, Which is... Miraculous that the ball even there's even anyone there. He yeah. doesn't look. He doesn't know. They are the only three the players in that like quarter of the pitch. Like, and then when you see the hooker gets it, and you go, okay, they've kind of got away with that. Yeah. Rather than, oh, this is this is still on. But wouldn't you know it? Naivalawasa, the hooker, suddenly turns on the gas. You can shift, man. He outruns both Guinea and Barber, the number nine and the number 12, on the way to the try line. As a hooker in 1987, that's seriously impressive. Yep. He was also a member of the Suva police. Was he now? Yep. Oh, so we get to spend so much time with Superboot. Yep. He uh, remains, or he was a police superintendent, I believe, until quite recently. He's now 61, so I think he's recently retired. But yeah, I mean, he was he was a good friend of Superboot. That I believe I mentioned in the previous episode. They were close friends, and clearly, when Superboot was doing his goal kicking with a broken arm, he was just running around the track on the outskirts, yeah, you know, yeah, preparing to chase down some Tahitans. Yeah, exactly. He was born for that moment, man. Yeah, and as I said, he's got like really good like technical sprinter pose. He does. His form's really good as he's finishing yeah. this try. Like, like his sort of high knees, like pumping the arms. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. Really good. Yeah, no, no, it's a really satisfying finish to that try. Mm. And, like, you'd expect a lot of modern hookers to maybe outrun a scrum half or a centre, but, like, not in those days. Like, that was no. that was extremely rare at that point. I can only assume he had some kind of sevens background or something if that was what he was doing in the World Cup. But serious finish uh, from Naivillo Asa. Yeah, love to see it. Love to see it. And, yeah, a phenomenal, like, try the tournament contender out mm. of absolutely nowhere when Fiji have been doing absolutely nothing all game. They've been kind of terrible. Yes. And Italy have been good enough. They've put enough pressure on them to kind of keep them down. Mm. And then, whew, all of that. Uh, at which point, Fiji suddenly start to grow in confidence. And Italy kind of panic a bit and start kicking everything away and being very, very conservative in their tactics, if you can call them that. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, Fiji do a little bit of kicking, kicking, but it's all quite smart. It's all quite well thought out. And mm. they're, they're getting points where, like, Italy start faffing around a bit in their own half, too. And, yeah. like, it's all very rushed and panicked, the way they're starting to play. And the kind of, like, probably the last quarter of the game they're approaching at this stage. So, like, really key. And bearing in mind, now Fiji have scored a try, Italy need another one in order to yeah. to think about qualifying. So yeah, and like Guy Tinello f- uh, throws like a horribly forward pass after when he goes literally five ten meters forward, uh, and of course this leads to directly the man who was directly told not to use his feet 
Nkoro going for a crossfield kick as a flanker. And it worked. Yeah, he gets away with Don't it. you hate Somehow. it? Don't you hate the fact that it worked? Oh, massively. Massively. Enormous. No, I don't. I don't. No, I, I, love, I love when flankers kick well. Uh, yeah, great, great work. Great work. Shows this thing's always been in the game. It's not like a recent thing. And actually it was probably, if anything, stamped out by uh, dickhead coaches like Clive Woodward. Yes, who genuinely. Who sick their roles and whatever that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, genuinely, I think you're right. There's, yeah, so the game is starting to draw to a close at this point. So... There's about five minutes to go. Yes. Things are really starting to calm down. Italy have panicked a bit, but they now look like they're very focused on winning the game rather than looking for that try. You get no real sense they're running everything and trying to... Yeah. Whereas Fiji still have a game to win, so they're very much on the upper hand at this point. And... So they know that a win means that anything Argentina do means that they, you know, Argentina would need to beat the All Blacks and score like eight tries in order yeah. to go through if they score this extra try and win. It would be very difficult for them to not qualify if they do win the game. Yeah, so Argentina would need to score five tries and a win over the All Blacks in order to qualify. Fiji got one more. Okay, yeah. So you know, seeing as that's never happened, yeah, there's there's no precedent for that. Fiji figure, we're good as qualified if we get to one extra try. Yes. And it's funny because they kind of do. So, so let's talk about this counter-attack, why don't we? Yeah, Italy get into... Italy is trapped in their own half and they manage to scramble the ball back after Fiji been on the attack back to Daniela Tivaldi, who's behind the line, thumps it as long as he can and the ball is about to be a very good kick. The ball is about to bounce out when, with a beautiful first touch, Corridua Dua knocks the ball off his inside of his boot back into the field of play and regathers it. Bloody super boot. That it's boot funny is super. You think of the super boot being super purely because of its size, purely because of its power. But when he's pulling off majestic tiny touches like that hey, as well. People people say that he may or may not have the nickname Bigfoot on the side. Let me tell you, delicate foot more like. He's just... You know who he is. He's bloody you know super he boot. He's bloody super boot. He's bloody super boot. God, I love that man. So, the thing that follows after this, his composure is next level. Because mm-hmm. he not only does that whilst he's running out of the field of play, keeps the ball in, he then runs back in and picks it up and perfectly executes a quite difficult high-speed three-on-two. Where, you know, he gets the ball in the middle and... Fiji managed to find a, a one man who is isolated, who is unmarked, to have a run. Superboot then manages to stay in the game, stay alive, and support him. Loops round, loops around him, and receives an offload. And you think like, and picks his line so well superb. as well off him. It's not just he's getting in position; he's getting around. Like he then changes his angle as he hits the ball, like, charges through, and there's not actually any Italians he's got to beat. Yeah. But he's able to then fix... Um, it's the, the 13 for Italy. It's, yes, Gaetanella. Uh, Gaetanella. Uh, it's Ronnie Corbett. Um, yes. He fixes him, yeah, and then dummies first when he doesn't commit until he is gone and then offloads. It's beautiful. Like, uh, we've not really thought of Superboot for his counter-attacking prowess, but it, it was one of those, right, where it just felt like he is the big player in this Fiji team, and he's about yeah. to come up with a big moment, even if it's something he's not known for. 
it happens in Rugby World Cups, doesn't it? Yeah, and even yeah, exactly. back at this point, it's the first time you got that feeling of like, oh, wait, yeah, because he's... We've not really had a game, other than Romania, Zimbabwe, we've not really had a game like this yet where it's like, oh, this is on a knife edge here. Like, yeah, it's yeah, one yeah. moment of brilliance could win this game. And yeah, Superboot, you're right, draws him in and gives a delightful offload to Naituku. Penny Volavola, isn't it? Uh, no, it's Naituku. Who, uh, they confuse them all game, uh, but I believe it's... He's wearing three, though. Uh, yes, the ESPN Scrum have it written down wrong. Um, I've got two copies. I've got three copies of the team sheet in front of me. And all of them have one of the Vola props Vola gets the ball. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. It's probably Volavola. Let's say Volavola. Sure. Um, okay. Volavola gets the ball and grounds the ball on the try line. Yeah. Which, according to Keith Lawrence, is short. What the fuck is he thinking? Like, Abs- I audibly shouted, What? When he did that. Fiji have been robbed. And here's the thing, right? They have about six police officers in their team. And they've just been robbed. Yeah. Keith Lawrence is going to prison. He doesn't have a bloody police officer in his team to let them out early and buy him a beer afterwards. Damn right he's going to prison. Lawrence sees it. He sees it on the line for a few seconds. This is four years after... We've just seen Fiji in a major competition have a controversial score allowed. Right. And their management have run onto the pitch and a mass brawl has broken out. Yeah. And Keith Lawrence doesn't award what is a very, very clear try. Yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. It's obvious on the first angle. Then you see the replay and you can hear Grant Nisbet going, now let's see if he reaches, then he kind of goes, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, oh, oh, Keith no. Lawrence is in the shit here. Like it's a... Uh, Oh, we can't have a debate here. This is just the wrong decision. Yeah, to be yeah, given. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh god, it's a proper howler. That is like, it's... I really expected the Fijian coach to come on and stub his fag out on Keith Lawrence. Like, we had the 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 David Campesi moment early in this tournament. Yes, this is an even bigger howler. Yes, yeah, it's um unbelievable, unbelievable. Fiji um, are genuinely robbed. Yes, they should have been. They should have been ahead. They should have been one point ahead. The thing that's funny to me after mm. this try is disallowed and play goes on and Italy get a put into a scrum and they, f- they try and clear the ball and whatnot. We find a point where both teams think they're winning and both teams try and run the clock down. Uh, when I say think they're winning, Fiji know that in the current state of things, they are mm. qualified, which they've yeah. been very upfront about the fact that that's all they care yes. about is qualification rather than necessarily results. Italy don't know, seemingly, that they need to score another try to qualify. They're thinking, oh, we're winning. That's the end of it. So both teams have stopped running the clock down on each other's behalf. It's one of the most confusing things of sport possible. And here's the thing. Because I'd kind of forgotten... Because the scoreboard isn't in the corner, which would be really useful in this. Um, I knew a try would put Fiji ahead, but I didn't realise it was a three-point difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. And... Yeah, so it ends up, and I'm thinking, actually, if they're doing a pretty good job of winding the clock down here, but then you realise, yeah, oh, yeah, wait, no, no, they need to try to win this. Yeah. They need to try, or to try to get through. I don't know if they were, they figured, well, we need three tries, we need whatever. Yeah. And I've tried, I was trying, um, before we started recording, looking back on if there's any interviews with the Italian management, yeah. any interviews with the captain and the sector talking about this. Uh, Marco Bolsar, who was a former the captain, was the coach. Right. Um, there's no record of him talking about this game. Uh, I can find. 
and there's a documentary um, in Italian, a half-hour documentary on this World Cup that touches on this game. And I tried to watch it with English subtitles, and I couldn't get them to work. Okay. Nothing would yeah. come through because there isn't natural. One day we'll get our scribe on that. Yes. So I couldn't get. I couldn't see if there's any talk on. So strange. So strange. I think they didn't know. No, there's nothing outside of maybe possibly that one documentary on them talking about this and talking about what actually happened, even 30 years on. If anyone listening to this podcast happens to know, not that you would, please do tell us. Yeah, no, I'd love to know. So confusing. What was going on? Uh, Because, I mean, to kind of kind of wrap it up. Yeah, Italy seemed to not know the situation and just wanted to win the game rather than qualifying. And Fiji yeah. were obviously fine with that. And so, yeah, there's there's another penalty. Superboot misses it. It's full time. It's 15-18 to Italy, which good on them for winning the game. Not enough for yeah. them to qualify for the quarterfinals. Yeah, it's an interesting result for Italy. Yeah. You can't quite tell how they're reacting to it. Very, very quickly, with that pure moment of total fucking stupidity, we say Arrivederci to Italy. This is uh, the first result when you enter Italian bangers into YouTube. Very, very quick uh, Italian leaving party. My player of the tournament for them is Serafino Gizzoni, um because uh, he was terrible in the first game. Yep. I mean, obviously, it's very, very hard to argue with Serafino Gazzoni, who is one of the all-time great players, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think he should be regarded as such. I think if I was picking a genuine and serious player of the tournament for them, uh, Maurizio Innocente is the standout. Agreed, player. agreed. I think he yeah. is their best player in yeah. this tournament. Agreed. Of course, we think that Fabio the dog is of Italian heritage, so he maybe qualifies, mm. but... Hopefully, you know. Hopefully, he's somebody that will come up, uh, come up with more, more in the tournament. You know, I wanted to make a comeback for more teams. I wanted to play in every game. Yeah, but obviously, if we're picking the player who made the biggest impression, it is Stefano Gizzoni. Yeah, Dolmio absolutely, Tommy Man himself. Yes. Um, do you want to know who I think is the player that made the smallest impression? Go on. Uh, Rodolfo Ambrosio. Had that who, one game where bloody somebody went round to his parents' house and that was it. Yep. So he his only cap was that win over that lost to the All Blacks, that <laughs> win over the All Blacks. They wouldn't they wouldn't get good against the All Blacks until twenty nineteen when they drew. Um Of course. Yep. Uh his only ever cap for Italy, but his main contribution, of course, was his parents being assaulted by Hugo Porter. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's so strange that Hugo Porter went around his house and just didn't play against him. Yeah. <laughs> I find that really funny. Uh, like, it just didn't happen. The stuff that like, yeah. you were trash talking over. Because it was one of those things. I thought that was going to come up in that game when we covered it. And nope, no, no, no. Nothing no, of no the sort. Literally forgot it happened. Oscar Gallardo comes in. Yeah. So, should we go to Man of the Match and Dick of the Day? Uh, sure. Sure, 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 uh, sure, sure. Should sure. we start with Man of the Match? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's Mazio Innocenti. I just think around the park, he was really good. He was cleaning up everybody else's shit, which there was a lot of. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just think he put in a good shift generally. So my man of the match is Mazio Innocenti. Uh, it was one of those interesting games where I kind of figured like maybe a free horse race. Mm. And then suddenly someone appeared at the last minute and I was like, oh, it was actually them all along, clearly, wasn't it? Right. So I had, uh, I think Mansa Angoro. 
was superb mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Shit house going for drop goals. Got to respect a flanker doing that. Yeah, love it. And also pissed off Keith Lawrence, so points there. True. Um, you have, of course, Bloody Superboot, a fullback, who I think has a very good first half, then a quiet 20 minutes, then comes back a lot, like mm. bursts into life in the last 10 minutes, yeah. and like is superb. But that kind of quiet period kind of chalks him off for me. Uh, so for me, it ends up being between Mauricio and Asante, who, as you say, brilliant, and I talked about earlier, I think was at least best player of this tournament, and yeah. played really well, body on the line stuff, to use all the all the cliches applied to him, yeah. you know, all the cliches about a great flanker applied to him. Yeah. But, and we've barely talked about him, right? I think the man of the match to me, and it became slowly... I'm writing a player down that I think you're going to say. Okay. I think it was Giancarlo Cucchiella. Okay, that's not who I thought it was. I wrote down Gini. Um, the nine. No. Okay, uh, that's fair enough, actually, because he did batter him in the scrum. He did score a try, and he did yep. do some other good stuff. He made some tackles, yeah. good tackles and stuff. He made two radio tackles, and uh, there's a moment in this game where he gets the ball in this kind of like, essentially in the scrum off position, like the ball uh, off a line-out is batted down, he happens to be the guy who regathers it. Uh, and he then runs this lovely arc, draws the fly off perfectly, and puts uh, Barber through a gap. Uh, I just like, that's phenomenal skills for a loose head in 1987. Yeah. To time that pass perfectly and like have the instinct to run around in the arc and, you know, and fix the man perfectly. But as I say, Italy scrum completely on top and was crucial in, there's a moment in the last 10 minutes where Fiji were on the Italy line, he wins scrum against the head, scores the try that eventually makes a difference. I think, actually, all the decisive moments kind of come down to Kukiella. And also, uh, he's going to be in Wes Anderson's next game, <laughs> playing Markella. So I'm very, very excited for him for that. And also for his Man of the Match award. Yeah, I, I think that's that's very well deserved. So, yes, well done to that man. Dick of the day. Mm. Uh, should I start or do you want to? Uh, sure, you go ahead. Cool. So there is an incident in the second half where there are the two players involved in, in said incident. One of them is, in fact, Kukiela, who you've just given him oh. the match. And the other one is Nandolo, of course, on his debut. Mm-hmm. So I didn't quite know what was happening until the commentator explained it. But there's a point where you can see the two of them lying down on the floor mm-hmm. with uh, the touch judge kind of separating them. And you're thinking, oh, has there been okay. a fight there or something? But no, they're both lay down, looking confused. And they're looking very friendly to each other, not pushing each other or anything. And then Grant Nisbet explains their legs had got tied together. So the touch judge had Ow. to come in and separate them. I don't How know. How legs get tied together? I don't like know. And like, no, no, no. Like what the, is this? The their legs steps. got jumbled up. And like, I get that that's a thing that happens in rucks sometimes because they're complicated places to be in. But also... Both of their legs, um, for both players, were mobile. They were able to move them themselves, which makes it yeah. much easier. It's not one of those team-building exercises at school where you've got to untangle yourself. The touch judge had to physically step in and help them untangle their legs from each other's. And Grant Nisbet says this on the commentary, that like it's a common thing that happened in these days. Just move your legs, lads. It's not hard. Was this like, was the Alfred Hitchcock film, the 39 Steps, seen as a really relatable movie at the time? Where like two people just get chained together and that just happens constantly. I think like just you just you know don't you hate it when you just trying to go to the shops and you end up chained to a perfect stranger? <laughs> yeah, sure. It just it did make me wonder if one of them maybe you got to watch out for your wallet. It's good advice. Uh, it did make me wonder if one of them maybe had super glue on their legs, maybe because that would mm, a super boot on their legs. 
that's something we all aspire for. I might get I might get a super boot tattoo on my leg. Should we both get matching super Should we get boots? matching super boot tattoos? <laughs> that would be iconic. So my man my sorry, my dick of the day is in fact Tuvula for okay. that screw up. And it is the current record for the quickest ever dick of the day in six point four eight seconds he secured his dick of the day. 6.48 seconds into the game, he made a screw up that I just wrote down. It's like, yeah, he's dick of the day. The previous record holder was Chauncey O'Toole, who was, I think, 47 seconds into the game. Wow. Okay. He secured it for kicking the ball into a child, like onto the ball boy's head uh, after the whistle had gone. So, yeah, Tovula is a record holder on this podcast for the quickest ever dick of the day. That's very, very good. So, I had a lot of content for dick of the day here. A okay. lot of, lot of, lot of contenders. Tavula, as you say, but hard to argue, hard to argue that that is a pretty dickish moment. Yeah. We have the child who screams at Superboot, who I think is a prick. Oh, that's um, true, actually. It should be him. There's, speaking of child children who are pricks, yeah. um, which, put that on my gravestone, um, <laughs> there's a moment in the background just before uh, Machiati's try. Mm-hmm. where the two ball boys are playing a nice little game of catch. They're just chucking the ball to each other, just passing it back and forth. And then one of them holds the ball above their head. The other one walks over and he throws it behind him so that neither of them can play with it and just walks off very calmly like a sociopath. <laughs> and that guy is a cunt, so uh, he's in contention. We also have, of course, some more rugby players... See, okay, now, I thought I had lots and lots of Dick of the Day contenders, and when I look through my notes now, what I'm starting to realise is, no, I've got lots and lots of Dick of the Day moments that all point me back to the same guy. Okay. And that guy is one Mr. Keith Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, I kind of figured as we went through this podcast that he was destined to get Dick of the Day from you. Keith Lawrence, who blows every single ruck in the game as a scrum. Keith Lawrence who plays advantage when the opposition team have... when they're on, That's the team that he's playing advantage to have knocked the ball on, who allows the opposition to kick away your advantage, yeah. who robs Fiji of a deserved victory, who bloody... <laughs> this is actually, you know, cancel his man of the match total, but uh, Innocenti gets away with three knock-ons. <laughs> he knocks the ball on three times and gets away with all of them, which Fair I play. think is heroic. Yeah, yeah. Who just ignores half of the stuff that actually goes on? Who just makes a real point out of oh, you use your hands, not your shut up. No one gives yeah, a shut shit up, about Keith you, Lawrence. Keith Lawrence. Who even are you? Go and have a son yeah, who'll Keith. annoy every South African. Um, <laughs> why? Why is Keith Lawrence here? Why was he there? Why do we need to see him again? I hope we don't. Keith Lawrence is my dick of the day, and maybe I just went too far. No, I think I think he's it's a no-brainer in that respect. So, fair enough, fair enough. Uh entirely valid reasoning. Yeah, so that finally brings us to the end of a two-hour episode. This is our um, longest episode apart from the Rugby World Cup final in 2011 and the Rugby World Cup semi-final in 2011 between Wales and France. And I ask you respectfully, 
Why? <laughs> Not a fucking clue, mate. Well, maybe it's the uh, the Fijian the super boot we like talking about. Yeah, yeah, I suppose we covered we covered the whole Pacific Games football yeah. tournament from. We did only start talking about the game after forty five minutes plus. Yeah, so. see, we wrapped it up in like an hour and a half. So that's yeah, cool. yeah, we're doing uh, pretty we well. We really got through it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so please join us next week when the game will be either England against Japan. <laughs> Or Australia against the USA. Maybe even New Zealand against Argentina. Look, we'll cover a game from 1987 from the pool stage next yeah. week. We're gonna, yeah. We'll get through one of them. Um, we'll, get, we'll get either uh, Koji Haral or Sandy Lomb. Oh, yes. The two best rugby players. The two best rugby Other players. Other than bloody Superboot. Because than bloody we all know, gather a closer around the fire. Gather yeah. around. Gather around one and all. Oh, what a way to finish because the podcast. we all know who we're here to worship and who we're mm-hmm. here to support. And it's bloody Superboot. Please. Bloody Superboot. I love that guy. And you know what the great thing about this game is? What? Fiji survived to fight another day. They made their goal of qualifying. The only thing that Superboot got up in the morning to do on these days, other than be magnificent. And so we will indeed see Fiji as they become the first team to formally book their place in the quarterfinals. Second team other than Ireland, but we all know how that's going to end. <laughs> so, please join us again for the pool stages, but also when we get to the knockouts, we will be watching Fiji once again. We'll see you then. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Enjoy your marshmallows. Good night. <laughs> 